0: So we, as always, have a fantastic evening in store. Um, We're going to get straight into it this evening, um, and then we'll definitely have some solid time for table discussion, depending on where things get to um, throughout the course of the evening. Um, But if you've got your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 14 through to 39. And for those of you who have been here over the last few weeks, you would have been able to track this theme that's been coming through in all of these different scriptures. We we were looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000, performing this incredible miracle, but a miracle that was pointing towards an, an even more ultimate miracle than just the provision of food, that really what that miracle was pointing towards was the provision of of Christ himself as the true bread of life. And you see in all of these scriptures, this declaration of this operating system and the difference between natural learning and divine revelation. And you see, as Jesus presents himself as the bread of life, the bread of life isn't something that you learn. It's something that you receive into yourself. And so it's almost like in these verses in John, Jesus is up against the same issue in almost every passage and in almost every encounter. And it You know, as I was reading it through this evening, um, or just before coming here, I was like, man, Jesus would absolutely not cut it as a policy analyst, you know, it's like day in, day out for me, it's all about being so precise that you get to the point and you make the point and then you don't make the point again, you know, whereas Jesus in every encounter, he makes exact, it's almost like he makes exactly the same point every time he has a conversation with people and it, you know whether it be the Jews, whether it be the disciples, and he's he's unveiling to them what it means to know him by divine revelation, and not by the way that they had previously come to know the law and everything that was written in it, as good as that was, and as divinely inspired and right as it was for a time. And you see that again in here in John chapter seven, starting at verse fourteen, and I'll just I'll just. Read it to you, and then we'll um, get into these questions. But it says this. "But uh, But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were then astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? You see, again, all of a sudden we're back to exactly the same theme that we were talking about last week and the week before, and the week before and the week before that, and Sunday morning, and becoming one. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <might decide> <laughs> and so if you were here looking for the new Schlick message uh, for, the, for Sunday night, I'm sorry, you're going to be deeply disappointed. but if you were here to, if you came to partake and eat of who he is, you're going to be left uh, with something that is absolutely awesome this evening. So the Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory from the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken, Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly, and they're they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that he is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, No one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I'm from, and I have not come from myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you and I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that he will not find him? He's not intending to go to the the, the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me, you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive for the whole, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus has not yet oh Jesus was not yet glorified. And just re- rewinding back to, to verse 14, which to be honest was probably the first thing that that grabbed me in, in looking at this passage, you see, um, see so the Jews were astonished, saying, "How has this man become learned, having never been educated and I love what the realist, what the real expression of the heart uh, what just almost like flops out of their mouths eh you know like how has this man become learned, having never been educated and to me what 's interesting is that you know, was was Jesus uneducated in the sense that he was uh, had a low IQ, was not intelligent, just didn't have it all together? Is that is that what they're saying, or are they saying that who is this man who has a kind of learning that just hasn't come from our natural system of teaching and education? You see, in my mind, I don't believe that they're saying that Jesus was dumb, but he had received a kind of teaching and a kind of learning that was completely opposite to the learning that they had been so engrossed in for so many years. He had a divine knowledge of his father that that the Pharisees' operating learning system and all of their natural education hadn't been able to produce, and yet Jesus through divine fellowship, had entered into something that they knew nothing about. And so there's a confrontation here between heaven and earth. That, so that they say, "How's this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered and said to them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of this teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him is true and there's no unrighteousness in him. Now I love that Jesus said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus didn't have, he didn't come with a brand new teaching of the day. In fact, in First John, it says actually this is not a new commandment, it's not a new teaching, it's actually an age-old teaching that I'm bringing to light, but it's actually, it's new to you because, because in all of your learning you haven't come to know what's truly new, which is actually age-old. And you you see here, Jesus had a a new kind of learning, not new in a linear sense, but new in the sense that it was new, it was fresh, it was from above, it was revealed from the Father. And he says it's not mine. You see, to to be honest, when I look out at the church today and the 30,000 different denominations, every denomination has something that is almost like it would be theirs, you know, it's like people say to me, well, what, what, makes the, what makes the rock different? What's the rock's thing? And it's almost like expected that you have to have this new separate thing that's different from all the rest, yet Jesus didn't come with a new thing. He actually said, actually, my teaching's not mine at all. What is he saying? I'm not creative. I'm not getting creative about what this is. I know the Father, and I'm speaking my Father's reality into the earth. I'm actually not an original. I didn't come to create this new thing. I actually came to prophesy and to proclaim what was set in motion before the foundations of the world, and I'm here to bring to light the reality of my Father's kingdom, that you would come and know it and enter into it, so that you wouldn't have your own thing, Actually, your life would be hidden in God, and your entire view and perspective of God would be completely put to one side, and you'd receive a new revelation of who He is that sets you free. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely, He was imitating His Father. And so, Jesus didn't have a, a unique bone in His body. Because he wasn't separate from the Father in any way. And see, when you start to talk like this, you can start to think, okay, was he, was he a copycat? Like, like we heard Greg share about this morning. Was he, was he hearing something from his, what his father said and just simply reiterating, right? And it's almost like if you have a church today when everyone's saying the same thing, it's like, oh, one person's copying the other person, and all of a sudden it's inauthentic. Because shouldn't you be different? Don't you need to be different to be authentic to who you are? Not different in this way. In fact, Jesus was different in physical form, but he was absolutely unified in spirit and in heartbeat. He didn't come with his own teaching. He came to declare the reality of his father here on earth. And so he said, my teaching's not mine. It's his who sent me. Jesus didn't have his own teaching. And he said, because it's not mine, I'm actually not here seeking my glory at all. I'm not here to establish my thing. I'm not here for you to come and look at me and how great I am. I'm here to reveal the Father in you, that you'd receive a revelation knowledge of who I am and who my Father is, that you would know my Father in the same way that I know my Father that we would have true fellowship together because it's not a new teaching. It's actually an age old. It's the teaching. It's the revelation of who I am. That's what I've come to to bring to this earth. So without further ado, we've got some questions to to dive into tonight. What was that? Stop, Stop there. Mic drop. So question number one, how has Jesus become so learned Having never been educated, who was his teacher and what was his way of learning? Do you want to kick us off tonight, Amanda? I'll
1: go with the easy one. <laughs> the easy one, eh? I think it was a my drop. Phew, off the hook. <laughs> um, so the obvious answer to that is um, the Father, is how, is how Jesus received his learning. Um, what, what astounded me when I read this is I keep going back to that passage um, where it says in Philippians how Jesus emptied Himself, and it just, and it, how he said, "It's not my teaching; it's God's who sent me." And it, it's just so powerful to think that Jesus came with no assumptions, like I say, no creativity, no, you know, no trying to add something or uh, increase something. He just received whatever the Father gave him and delivered that truthfully. You know, and I just, that was very really powerful to me. I was like, wow, empty means empty. So um, it's almost like, I guess for me, it's been a process of being emptied in order to be filled because if I come with all my own extras, actually I'm just trying to add on and exactly what Sam was just saying, you know, I sent a very difficult email today that God's been asking me to send for a long time and, it, and I just felt, and I was sharing the gospel and I was this person who's, Man, he's probably thinking, what the heck are you emailing me for? But I knew I had to do it. And I felt myself wanting to add on to the gospel. I wrote this email and I felt myself wanting to... And my father said, no, that's it, you're done. Just stop there. And I was like, oh, yep, I need to stop there. And just let who he is speak for itself. And that's what... And I don't know if that's answering the question, but the point is that, um, that the empty vessel humbled vessel can receive from the father and Jesus himself had to receive revelation. Is that okay to say that to Jesus himself? I mean he was the revelation but he had to learn obedience by the things he suffered it says so he he had to be open and willing to receive from the father and know what the father was was bringing to give. So um, his revelation Kate okay, was in out whereas for me for a long time it was out in you know trying to take what was out here and it, you know, as hard as I could force it into whatever, and so um, like that search descriptions <laughs> so so me. <laughs> Even with this, I'm like when you said about being on the panel, I'm like right. I just need to read this, and you know, and then I, and father's like no, just come away with me. You know, read it. But so it's an out in, it's an in out direct. I don't know if that answered that. You
0: know. And I think and that's that's the thing, right? When it's not in, mm. you have to try it. You're like when when it's not in you, you have to be creative, because yes. actually you've got you've you've got nothing that's heavenly to release. And but if if you have him in you, there's no need to be creative because the weight and power is actually in the word. It's not in your own creative ability to articulate a particular doctrine that's going to tickle the ears of those around you. You know, and to me that, that is what it is. It's like, well. What is it what would it look like to actually be confident enough that the word could do the work you know And it's not what I'm not saying is that we shouldn't be creative I hope that you're not hearing that because actually I, when I love to be creative I love that we can use typologies and examples to bring to light but the power isn't in the typology the power is in the releasing of him and actually the typology is a means to an end you know if, if the typology can can help to bring to you know, then great you know, but the power to change a person's life isn't, and that's why, why you know why, why Paul talks about you know if if his gospel is in wise and persuasive words, he'd actually make void the very power of the cross. You know that in the in the creativity and in the natural articulation and in the eloquence if it's received as an eloquent word, it's actually just completely missed the mark of what it needed to achieve because that in and of itself can't change a person's inner world, but the word of God can, hey, you know? And so when Christ is in, then he comes out. But when he's only out, you can only communicate on the out, hoping that it'll become in, you know?
2: Because so. our creativity is just an expression of him but you don't create the word. So all our creativeness, you know, you see people paint, okay? So they're creating imagery, but that's just an expression of the word. So we don't create the word. The word is already created. And so we're to be an expression of the word. And the challenge with this is, is once again, and we were sharing with this with the guys before on the way home, is to truly grasp, what is being declared, one must be one with God. So unless you're one with God, this becomes all very confusing because you go, Jesus, the Word, did he teach himself? No, his father taught him, but he was with the Father at the beginning and all things have come through Jesus. Well, which one is it? It's just him. Him. Because Colossians says all things have come through Jesus. So does that mean Jesus taught himself? No. The Father downloaded, but him and the Father are one. And so all that, if you're trying to understand that, your head's like going ding, 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 ding. It's like ping pong. And so you have to be in one because the word is not something that's tangible. It's spoken. And this is what makes it so tricky because it says in Colossians, Jesus is the mystery of God that all the wisdom of God and the mysteries of God are contained in. And we're trying to go, well, which one is it? It's him. And within him is three. And the three are one. And so that's why it starts saying, hear my people, the Lord is one. And it's not a written reality, it's a spoken reality. So you've got to hear this word that brings you and I into oneness before you'll ever understand anything that's written because this is a spoken reality, not a written reality. That's is why the Pharisees couldn't get him because they've got scriptures but not him. And you need to hear it because it's spoken, then it's written down. Can you hear what I'm saying? It's not a book that you mentally try to grasp. That's foolishness. Because it's not the word is written, it's spoken. Listen to this. He be- who believes in me as the scripture said. <laughs> the scripture said. I thought you read. No, you've got to hear the scripture that said. Because in the beginning God spoke. So Jesus is speaking a spoken reality that must be heard before it can be understood because it's not something that's written. And that's why they had no idea who he was, even though they claimed to be of Moses, which they weren't. Because Jesus said, if you were of Moses, you'd be of me. And you can't hear the spoken word. So you're looking at what's written and you've missed the step of spoken, which has led you astray. And so this is our challenge too because it's the challenge for humanity to be in the spirit that hears a spiritual word because the father taught Jesus, but Jesus is the exact representation of his father. Jesus was with the father at the beginning and all things have come into being through Jesus, the word of God.
0: It's interesting, eh, you know, because it it reminds me of even, even this dialogue here with the Jews, you know, and they've obviously got a preconceived idea because what what they would have read in the Scriptures about who the Messiah was and how he was going to arrive, you know. It says, um, you know, however, uh, however we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from, you know. And so they've got something that they've either, like, had passed down or they've read something about who they think he is and how he's gonna appear so that when the person is actually standing in front of them and proclaiming the reality of who he is, there's there's no gauge for that at all, right? Because they can't you know, they've read but they can't hear, you know. So
2: And that's it. They've read but they can't hear because it's not a reading thing first. It's a hearing thing, see? So they read about their Messiah. That's why the disciples had no idea who he was, and they said, who is this guy? They said, we found the one that Isaiah wrote about. Come and see. And then he said, who do you say I am? Why? Because he knows they didn't know who he was. But they've got a written reality, a technical reality, but not a revelational reality. And that's why you see them. They've got no idea. So they technically know you're the Messiah, but they're not living lives that he's the Messiah, are they? And that can be you and I, because you've only got a reference for what's written, but you've got to have a reference for what's spoken before it's written, which means you have to hear it and not in the natural. You have to have ears of the Spirit. Hear what the Spirit says to the church. You need ears to hear. That's why Jesus is always saying you need to hear and understand in the Spirit, not in the natural. Otherwise, you'll be not learnt at all. You'll know nothing. So Jesus was educated by the Spirit, His Father, but He is the Spirit. And then He sends the Holy Spirit. And they're three, but they're actually one operating system. They're one being. And that's why it becomes confusing to people who are Christians who actually don't know how to walk in the Spirit, hear in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, operate in the Spirit. Because they're living in the flesh, operating in the flesh, walking in the flesh, but are covered by love. And so what you're trying to do is learn something of the Spirit through the natural. And the Bible says the flesh profits you absolutely nothing. So why are you trying And you struggle and you try and you try and you try, but you don't go anywhere. You just get frustrated, but you're still covered. And this is our challenge because it's all about spirit because the word is spoken and then someone wrote it down and even that was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's why it says none of you can interpret what's written. It's been concealed from us but God wants to reveal it. So it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it is the glory of kings to what? Search that matter out. So our searching is our part. His part is revealing His spoken word. And then you truly start to learn the ways of the Spirit, because the Spirit, Jesus said, come to me, and learn from me. You do not learn this in this way. So these guys never went to the school he went to. They went to the school of humanity, the religious system, and learned a written word. He was part of the school of the spirit and learned a spiritual word that then got written down. I hope you can hear they are
0: massively different. I feel like there's there's something in this, eh? You know, and uh, (laughs) uh, it just is to me. It's just triggered, you know. In Second Corinthians, you know, it says this. um, uh, It it says, "Who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit? For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones." came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be with even more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Ah, oh, man, you know, if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, and that is the old covenant, right? Letters that were engraved on, spo- uh, on stones, written letters, and he's saying, guys, that had a form of glory, but actually God's intention was never letters engraved on stones, right? It was always given for a time, but there was a greater glory that was coming that would actually be not in letters engraved on stones, but by the Spirit that through the spoken word that was received would then be engraved on human hearts, hey, you know? And so while the physical letter engraved on stones could accomplish so much, he's saying, guys, actually... There's a much greater glory that comes not through what was physically written and engraved, but what was actually spoken and received and entered into because the letter couldn't engrave anything on, on human hearts, Hey, eh? You know? And so uh, I just feel like th- 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 it's such a powerful theme, eh? You know? And we need, we're, we're to be, we're not to live as old covenant believers and and to me that the old covenant isn't so much about time frames it's actually about operating system because we can be 2000 years post the new covenant but actually be living from an old covenant reality because we know the the, the written word, and we know the word that's been engraved on stone tablets, but actually, do we know the word that's been spoken that's actually been engraved on the tablets of human hearts? Because it's only that word which actually produces the reality of his life within us, eh? You know? And so, to me, that's why these scriptures are living and active, and they're sharper than a two edged sword, because when you hear and receive them, it, 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 you, you receive. It, it, it divides between the old and the new, not in linear age, but in the reality of what we've been living from. It makes us, man, maybe I've only known what was, what was physically the ink words on a page, which has had a, even it says it has a kind of glory attached to it. But there's a greater glory that we can know where that word is actually manifested within us, and that's what Jesus is confronting here in. In John chapter seven, you have the Pharisee or the, the Jews who knew about the Sabbath because it was in the law, and he's saying to them, "Guys, if if you're so concerned about keeping the physical circumcision that was physically written about, but you've got no concern for the spiritual word that was that sat behind that letter because the because the circumcision that I was actually really about wasn't physical." It was actually about your heart, you know, and so you've got an appetite for this and you're devoted to this, but you've got no knowledge of the true circumcision, which actually the law was supposed to point towards, it's a circumcision not of your flesh, but of your inner world, you know, and so it's a powerful way, and it's, and it's for us today, it's not a division between those who weren't and those who were back in the day, it's, it, it brings to light the reality of what we can live in and from, you know. I I
1: think the reason, well, for me, the reason I would, the words would have been so important for so long is, you know, because you can know them, (laughs) and you can quote them, and you can, um, you take real pride in it, actually. Man, you know, like, I remember people would say to me, um, they'd be talking about something, and I would say, oh, yeah, I know where that is in the Bible. Yeah, I know, you know, or, um, or I'd say something, someone would say, is that in the Bible? Oh, yeah, 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 I can tell you what, you know. Ironically, it's so funny, it's quite ironic. The further, the more I've come to know the real Christ behind the, word, behind the scriptures, who he is, I can't remember what anything is now. <laughs> I should write it all down. It's like he stripped it all away. But, but um When, as I've, as I've, as he's revealed himself to me, the person of the word, the word has revealed himself, it's actually happened around the other way quite a few times where he'll speak to me, he'll, he'll reveal something in me and I'll, I'll then find myself reading it, but it was that way around. It's not reading it and then, I mean, both can happen, don't get, don't, you know, both can happen, but that's like being quite new. It's like, oh. He'll he'll speak and the word will confirm it, but he delivers it first, fresh, which is that's really fun, yeah, <laughs> and takes all the pride out of it because it's not me, right? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I think Nick said something last week that I thought was awesome. You know, he says he said we we love it when or well, the flesh loves it when we know something more than someone else yes. eh? You know, and to be able to know something more than another person. It's like it immediately puts you on a on a higher on a higher playing field, eh? You know, and yet the reality of the when when you know when you receive love in you, you just don't even think like that at all, you know, because what you've received, you know, is for others, and what you're looking for is fellowship as opposed to uh, competition, you know.
2: There's no way you can be like that when you receive the word, because the word builds humility, not pride. And so you're just being exposed for your lack of the word when you live a pride-filled life, because it's from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. So it's the Pharisaical knowledge; it's not true knowledge. So both trees, you know, produce a knowledge, and one is a knowledge of life, and the other knowledge is of good and evil. And so if we act in that way, it's because we're not receiving the word of life, which is showing you we're not learning. Because if we continue to live from the spirit of pride, we're obviously not learning because that's not Christ. The spirit of pride is the spirit of humility is Christ. And so that keeps coming out of us. We're actually not learning. We're at the school that the Pharisees were at. It's called the school of the flesh. And that's what God separates, isn't it? He divides flesh and spirit. And that's why the flesh profits you nothing. And that's why it's the spirit that puts the flesh to death. And I just want to read this because this is fascinating. Acts 4.13. Now as they, the religious people, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed. And began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So, this is an axe. They've gone from being who they were to now being fully on fire and on power because they've been filled with the word Himself. And now the same pattern is repeating itself. They're like, oh my goodness, now there's more of them. (laughs) These guys didn't come. These guys are fishermen. What are they even doing? And so they would have had roughly about 13 years of the written reality of God, but now they've come into the spoken word. And what you, and I just want to reinforce this, okay? So none of this is written first. This is the problem. It's not a written reality, it's a spoken reality. And so that's why we can't grasp it through reading the scriptures, because you don't read what's spoken, you hear. What's spoken it's like if someone's on the radio, you don't read what they're saying, do you? That's what I'm trying to say. Is that the, you hear the point? You hear what they're saying. but the problem is you've got a book with words on pages and you've been taught you actually read and learn. No, you don't, because it's, this is spoken, not written when Jesus said it's written, it was a spoken word first. And that's why I've been banging on about spirit, 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 not scriptures first. Spirit, spirit, spirit. The spirit, the spirit speaks a word which is spiritual. Okay, It's all spiritual and you've got to hear it. Then to help it gets written, but it's actually the spiritual written. Okay? It's, not spirit, it's not spoken and written, it's spoken written. Because it's one, not two. But Greg, it says the spoken and written word, I know. But you've got to see behind the literal spoken and because God's one. So it gets spoken, ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear, spiritual ears to understand. So then faith is birthed so you can see what just got spoken. You don't see what's spoken. You hear it. No, you hear and now you see. Because what's being declared is coming from an unseen realm. Because this world was not created from what's visible. So what's coming out of Christ and what's coming out of those of Christ does not come of earth. So the natural is to read and understand, isn't it? But we're not in the natural We're in the eternal. We're eternal beings who used to be natural, who are living the eternal way, the kingdom of God now, which is a spiritual kingdom. And so if all we are doing is just applying the demonic way here, you're going to get the demonic reality. Nothing. And the flesh will profit you absolutely nothing. Now here's scary. You can still go lay hands on people and cast out demons. You can still preach words, but you will not, like Amanda said, be receiving this life in you and living from this life. You'll be grasping at straws, trying to claim it, listen to every podcast you can get your hands on. It'll be all outside of you and you're trying to bring it in rather than it being coming from in you and coming out.
0: Um, and to me, like just as you, just as you're saying that, it, to me, it reemphasizes the point. It says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say that faith comes by reading, you know. And so, if faith, the ability to see what's unseen, comes by hearing the word. To me, we have to hear. To, to be able to have faith, to be able to see what exists in his world, you know? And um, I, I just thought kind of just, I'm not speaking, I'm speaking. <laughs> I want to say Amy. <laughs> um, You know, I, this, I don't know if you guys remember, like way back in the day when the Harry Potter books came out. This is a really random example, um, but just go with me and don't get too religious before you don't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> but there was the harry potter books came out and then a number of years later there was a movie that came out and what had happened is that everyone had who had read the books up until that point there was an a real outrage when the when the movie oh, thanks a, a real outrage when the movie came out because everyone who had read the words on the page because it was left up to their imagination. had had read and had constructed something in their own mind. That when the movie, hear the typology, what I'm not what I'm trying to say, when the movie came out, there was outrage because people were deeply, deeply grieved that the world that was displayed in the movie was different to how they had perceived it in their minds. You know, why? Because the written, when the Word is written, when it's natural learning, when you come to this and you read the Bible with natural intellect, you'll go somewhere in your mind that actually isn't from the Spirit. And you'll create a world that is based on your own imagination. You're creating God in your own image without actually having received and the, the Word that you've heard with the ears and eyes, not your physical ears, but the ears of your heart that's opened up a spiritual world to you not because of what you've created but because of what you've received. Yes. Does that make sense? And so if, if we're learning in that way and the real deal turns up, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know, you are set to be deeply disillusioned And either you have the humility in you to realize, oh, maybe a man has stepped on the scene, and in this case it was Jesus, who actually has something in them that is God's reality, and either I'm going to be confronted in a good way that my preconceived ideas right now have been completely shattered, and the humility in them makes them recognize actually you're better than what I what I previously conceived you to, and knew you to be, or you'll be so deeply, deeply offended because the God that you thought and had created in your own mind didn't match the reality of who God was. And like we read about and spoke about last week, you'll you'll walk away grieved, and people did right. And so, to me, that's the danger when you when you don't hear His word, you'll create God in your own image. And you are on a fast track to being deeply disappointed unless there's humility in you to actually be confronted to the very core that you would transition from your, your old learning system to actually learning by revelation that comes by the Holy Spirit through hearing and receiving, not learning and creating in your own mind. Hey, you know? So you can see the distinct difference between the two, hey?
2: And we've got an exact example of it right here in what we read. Did the Jews keep the law? No, they didn't. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? You say that to a Jew, and what are you going to invite? Why do you seek to kill me? What does the law say? Thou shall not. So if they kept the law, why are they trying to kill him? When the law says thou shall not kill. Apparently you can kill him just as long as you don't kill him on a Sabbath. So as you read, Jesus later on says, you say you're of Moses. You were never of Moses. Because okay? the blind man, remember the blind man? He's healed and he's excited, but he doesn't know he healed him. And he has an interesting run-in with the Pharisees because he then doesn't know and he says, do you want to be his disciple? And they're like, Wah! what? We're disciples of Moses. No, you were never because Jesus said, if you were disciples of Moses, you'd be a disciple of mine because Moses wrote about me, but actually... He received the word how? It was spoken, God wrote it. So they were never of, but thought they were. And so when the real thing turns up, the Spirit, Jesus Christ is Spirit. And they were not of the Spirit. That's why they couldn't keep it, because you've got to be of the Spirit to keep anything of God, don't you? So let's transition because we get confused when we hear the word law. So let's go to the word, can you keep the commandments? Well, if you're not of the spirit operating in from walking in receiving, no, you can't. Well, that's a problem for a people that are commanded to keep the commandments and love God and love people, isn't it? Which then you would want to go, what Sam just said, oh my goodness, that's an apostolic word that just landed on earth right in front of me that came out of Simnor's mouth. And if I can't keep that, what does that mean? That means I can't keep it. So, what do I want to do about that? Knowing I can't bring me into that, but someone is here, the Spirit speaking a reality. That if I can hear this word, it will create this ability to fulfill and keep the commandment. This has happened every single gathering here for a long time. But because it's spoken, it became completely missed. I'll ask you a question. What did I say this morning was the purpose for you and I? I make my point so if you know it say it because yeah okay, so you've answered correctly is it your reality so now if you're being conformed share living testimony with me go scribe you've answered intelligently you're not far from this kingdom dimension, but you ain't in it. But when you it enters in and you enter into, you then can testify because you're learning by the Spirit because you've come to Jesus, the Spirit who's in you, and the Spirit, God, Jesus, is literally revealing himself in you. So it's God, Jesus, Spirit. God taught the Son. The Son taught the the Spirit will only speak what the Son has said. One, one, one. It's not three. It's one. See the order. So by the time you get to man, what's man to be speaking? Only what the Spirit has taught man, because the Spirit's been commissioned to reveal all things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has not yet entered the heart of man. All that the Holy Spirit has revealed within. And it's been freely given to me, Paul said, so I can speak freely of it so you can all know it because the natural man does not discern the things of God because we have the mind of Christ. I wonder if everyone else in Corinthians has the mind of Christ because I have the mind of Christ, because I'm taught by Christ, I can teach you and testify of what's in Christ, the things that I has not seen, ear has not heard all that God has already prepared for the entire church because it's a finished work. Well, if I'm not in that and you're not in that operating system, you'll know nothing apart from just being covered, but you'll know no true knowledge within you that will enable you to actually live like Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was man on earth. Even though he was the son of God, he was the son of man. But he's one, isn't he? So for the majority of his time on earth, he lived as the son of man. But then he would show his disciples himself as the son of God, would he not? Don't get casual with this, guys. Let me show you. Now I'm back to being the son of man who's empowered and filled. And look what I can do because I've learned from the Father. The Spirit,
0: and I just wanted to say about the the natural man that you're describing, you know, and not being able to know. But I think the danger is that the natural man always thinks that he does know, because it's just that the reference point that he has, because it's either words and it looks similar and it sounds similar, that it is the same as what's being proclaimed in the Spirit, you know. And so, t- to me, but. Those who have re- have received what truly is spirit actually see the the divide clear as day because the commandment you go from no, thinking that you can keep the commandment to realizing that you absolutely in no way at all can keep the commandment because what do you say the commandments a spiritual commandment you know and so having transitioned from I thought I could I absolutely cannot. And now you receive in you a power to be able to keep it. You know, actually, the the divide between soul and spirit. And so, to me, the the commandment is so, for example, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another as yourself. The natural man will always say, I can do that. I'm totally capable of doing that, you know. But that response says, actually, you've. Maybe you've read, but you actually haven't heard. Because to me, that that commandment, he may as well be saying, guys, I want you to go and live under the ocean. No snorkel, no tank on your back. I want you to go and live 10,000 feet under the ocean permanently, indefinitely. Is that a realistic commandment or an impossible commandment? Excuse me? <laughs> it's an impossible commandment, right? It's an it's an impossible commandment to to your natural man. And in the natural we would all be in absolute unanimous agreement to say, man, I just cannot live ten thousand feet under the ocean without a tank on my back. You know? We can't even live five minutes. Yeah. Why are we not flawed in the same way that Jesus when Jesus says the greatest commandment actually it's to love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love one one another as myself? Why are we just not like why is our response, Oh, I can do that as a Because we've heard naturally, we haven't heard spiritually. We haven't heard the word that says, actually, I'm calling you to a life that's not natural. I'm calling you to a divine, heavenly. I'm calling you to a, I've got a heavenly calling for you that's not of this earth. And it requires you to receive and enter into something that's beyond your natural capability to even take the first step. To even last one minute underwater, you need something more than what your human natural ability can provide you and so that's that's to me he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying guys you cannot in you but let me tell you this is why the good news is the good news because I haven't actually really come to tell you who you're not I've come to to actually bring to light the reality of my promise, which it says actually the promises have been given so that you might become a partaker of the divine nature, that the commandment that actually floors you is actually something that I want to fulfill in you by my spirit, which requires a spiritual kind of hearing and receiving in you that what if you actually could live 10,000 feet under the ocean? Would you want to know about it? Or would you want to kill the person who's come to tell you about something that's so much bigger than what you've previously known? And, and so we see here that the Jews are, are confronted by that very thing, eh? And the Word of God's to do the same to us. That we'd actually say, ma'am, I can't, but you can, you know? And, and allow this divine work to, to happen within us, hey? So
2: that is where lordship begins so lordship doesn't begin until you've journeyed from there across because you're not capable of living love unless you actually are in lordship and that's why you don't see a church known for love it might be doing its human works it might be able to because this is the challenge you know how we prove our love by what we do that's not a love that God's talking about. And then our identity and our sense of purpose and meaning is what we do. We think that proves I love God because we read scriptures like this. Jesus obeyed God and proved to the world that he loved God by doing. But you've got to be in his life in you to know what that is. And that's why it says there right at the end, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So the challenge is, we've been taught this, if you love me, you'll do, go. But you're going from you. And that's why I said this morning, it's not here to apply, it's here to receive, to become, then you'll be able to express. And people say, I love God Tell Why do you love God? Oh, because of all the things I do. Never starts there. That second I love God because I know God. And I know God, which means I love God. And because I'm in love with God and God's in love with me, as a natural expression of that, I'm going to be obedient to what he asks me to do. And we've got to be so careful, see, because when you read things like this, hear and obey these words, it's not hearing naturally and going and doing them. It's hearing the spiritual word received that puts power in you, that now the power, because the word is power, because Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and that then enables you and empowers you to actually live and walk in the manner that Jesus did. And the first thing is the law of Christ because we're no longer under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ, which is the law of love. So if you're struggling to love, or you haven't yet come into love, that's where you need to start. There's no much point trying to heal sick people, raise the dead, and him here, unless you've got love. You're just a gong. You're nothing. You'll stand before him, and you'll think with all your pride, you'll go, look what I did for you. And You'll have all your trophies and all this thing, and he's going to go, I know that you didn't love me, because I know those that love me because I've been watching for 6,000 years, searching the earth to and fro for those who are wholeheartedly abandoned to me, not just those that think they're doing my will, but those that are actually living it out. And it confronts us, guys. It confronts every part of you that wants to tag God onto you and live your life. And you can live your entire life like that and you'll get the fruit of that. And it doesn't mean God doesn't love you, but what it means is you don't love him. And you'll convince yourself you do, but you don't. And I'd rather you found that out now than found that out on the day of your judgment when you're going to miss out on your reward. And that's why he sends people to speak this. And those who speak it know what they're saying. So they know it has the power to break friendship, but it never breaks fellowship. And that's why friendship can't be number one. Because when someone turns up who's in fellowship, they speak stuff that the natural hates. Because friendship is of the natural. Fellowship is of the spirit. I love friends, but I don't need friends. I need fellowship. You can be the only person and not be lonely because you have fellowship with the Father, Son and the Spirit, the triune God. There ain't no loneliness there. You can be around a whole lot of people and still be lonely. Can you not? And so we need fellowship which comes from the word, not friendship first. But unfortunately so many churches are built on a friendship and then we think that's family and it's not family at all. Fellowship is family. So if we're not in that, then we're not in family. We're just in a natural family, and really you're waiting to get upset. And that's why Jesus said, who are you? You're not my mum, and you ain't my dad, and you ain't my brothers. It's these guys over here that you three don't even know. Those that do the will of my father are my family. It's not my bloodline. Now, I hope my bloodline do the will of my father. But they're not my family. Those people are my family. Hey, family. See the challenge? It's massive. And that's why we get so offended. But it's the truth, isn't it? The truth makes you free.
3: that is very private to the law of God is in everything and so it's always in maturity that we have we deal with people as, as sons of God, we deal with people with maturity because we have the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding and things because of our maturity to be able to live that out. And so it's always a hidden thing, it's always a sonship thing that it is, it is precious the precious relationship that God has sovereignly with us. It has his own sons his own
2: yep. possession. So truce True sons are to model what the son modeled, correct? So that's maturity. Here's the thing. You can have a very shallow relationship. Like you have shallow relationships with humans. You can have an extremely shallow relationship with the Lord. So you can be a son, but actually not be able to live as a son. You live as an orphan. You live as a slave. Now you're technically a son, but you don't know how to live as a son because you've only got a shallow relationship with Christ. So the maturest form of relationship is a deep fellowship, oneness. And this is why fellowship must trump relationship. Now, once again, they're one and the same thing, okay? I actually don't know what I said. I think I said, what did I say the exact way? fellowship must trump relationship was that it <laughs> see this is i'm not kidding you this is what happens it's coming and so it's not coming from here it's coming from here so fellowship trumps relationship they're one and the same thing if i'm in if i'm in fellowship with the lord i'm in a great relationship with the lord but i can have a relationship and no fellowship because my relationship is shallow Fellowship is oneness. So I can be in relationship and not be in oneness, in a maturing oneness, yeah? So when we all receive the Holy Spirit, we are all brought together in one because it's the same Spirit. But that doesn't mean we mature in oneness. We could be perfected in oneness, unity, correct? Through receiving the Word, through sitting with the Spirit and Him revealing the Word in us. So how do we be perfected in oneness? How do we get perfected in love? Is through Jesus Christ teaching us through the power of the Spirit, what we're looking at tonight. That's not happening. We're staying very immature in our oneness, our fellowship, and very immature in our relationship with Him, which means we have no fellowship with one another and no relationship with one another of the Spirit. So then you're left with natural relationship. And that's what the church does. And so it builds itself on natural friendships. Actually, we don't quite like those guys over there. They're a little bit annoying to us. So they're not really part of our personality type and stuff. So we just let them do that. And we never actually get to figure out who they are, even though they sit over there every Sunday. And they've been over there for 10 years, and we've been over here, but we just keep to ourselves because we've got this cool relationship, and we get on, and we know what we're talking about. That's natural, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying you have to run around and be everyone's best bud, but we're in fellowship. We're to be in unity. So you don't even need to know the people, but you have an instant connection with them because they're part of your family. But see, if you're still very functional, which is the opposite of fellowship, you're not interested in that because that's not going to benefit you. Because you're only looking for relationships that benefit you because you're still very much in a shallow relationship with the Lord. You ain't going to lay your life down for those people over there and be able to keep that command because love lays its life down for one another. You're not even thinking like that, man. You're doing everything for you. You won't get up early and pray for people. You won't get up late and pray for people. You won't be in you. You'll be thinking about everything for you, and everything will be wide about how you get. That is shallow fellowship, shallow, very immature. And this is what this says the spoken word, doesn't it? Doesn't it say think of others more than you think of yourselves in Philippians? Make my joy complete by not living for you anymore? Well, you can't. We are hardwired, man, to live for us. And nothing can change that but Jesus Christ. Full stop. And if you don't get that sorted, and this is what Amanda and these guys are saying, is that you'll use your intellect to puff yourself up so much you are like the Pharisee. You could be Caiaphas and you'll stand there on your temple with your chest puffed out with all this knowledge which is from the tree of good and evil and it'll just be a whole lot of rubbish, but it'll sound really good. Do you know how you truly discern? Yeah, but before it's the fruit, what do you have to be able, because fruit can be deceiving, yeah? How do you hear? Oh, I just gave the answer, sorry. You discern through hearing. You don't discern through looking. Okay? Because if you look, the person can look like they got it all together. So you've got to close your eyes and go, hear, hear. Is the person who looks the part, are they actually speaking the spoken word of God? Yes, they are. Man, that's feeding me. No, they're just preaching scriptures. They're speaking their thoughts and what they feel, not who they know. And that's why it can't be. That's why God said, because you can't see me, you haven't seen my form. You have to hear my voice. So that's what Jesus is saying. You're always looking at the outer, discerning. So you need to know this, guys. We need to know this because people can look like, and even out of family, they're doing all the right things, running around, meeting all the needs, doing all this stuff. You go, man, you've got zero discernment. You're actually being busy thinking this is all what it is to love God. And it may be if God has said it, but if it's not, it's just your good intention because you are in good intentions because you're actually getting something from that yourself. It's actually self-serving. Because you have this need to serve because you're still self-serving you. You're not a bond servant. And that goes on because you lack discernment. And that's why he says, man, don't discern appearance. Discern through hearing, which means you've got to be able to hear the word. Which says, you've got to know the word to hear the word. And at times if you're hearing something that you don't yet know, that's why you take it to the Holy Spirit. But you'll know if it's the word of God or not. the measure you're in can you hear that so someone might preach something here and you haven't yet heard that meaning you don't understand that but your spirit's going I know the frequency of that and it's powerful and it's not about my mind it's about my spirit okay so which is the parable of the kingdom isn't it hear and understand if you want any kind of spiritual eternal fruit being formed within you So it's one thing to hear, but you've got to hear and understand through spiritual discernment because if you make an agreement with the flesh, then you're going to live out flesh. So if you make an agreement with anything, what you make an agreement to, you'll live out. So if I'm full of persuasive words and sound really good and I convince you this is it and you make an agreement with that, then that's death. If that's flesh because the flesh profits you and I nothing. It sounds good, but it's my vain imagination. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not coming with flash words so I don't strip out and make the power of the cross void. Because the power of the cross, which is really the power of Christ, not the power of wood, but the power of Christ, is what? 1 Corinthians 18. To those who are perishing... So it's foolishness to that, but to those who are being saved, because we're all being saved, we're saved and being saved and will be saved, it's the power of God. So it's this power of God for those who are being saved to come into the fullness of the image of God so you can then live, which takes out all your human effort, your human striving, your human ability, all done from rest, Wow, it is beautiful. And all you want to do is praise. And all you want to do is give him glory. All the time. Because God is good. All the time. <laughs>
1: can, I, can I share?
0: Um,
1: <laughs> can, sing? can I what? Can sing. sing. <laughs> um, it, it's really important that we don't judge by appearances. And I know that sounds so obvious, (laughs) but it's really not. And I speak that from someone who you would never have known if you were listening to me or watching my life. you would never have known that that Christ wasn't Lord, that Christ wasn't in his rightful place, if you had just been looking by appearance and judging by appearance. But um, if you were listening carefully, you would have being able to pick up on the frequency of works, function, self-righteousness, pride, you know, all these things. But so it's really important that we don't judge in the flesh, that we have, like Greg's, you almost have to shut your eyes. There was times when Greg was preaching, I had to shut my eyes so I could hear what was being said without filtering it through the physical, you know. Um, I've been, Father called me a Pharisee. Man, I've been called a Pharisee and adulteress, and those are the two, two, of the key. you really don't want to hear those, right? Those are the two things, especially the Pharisee pre-initially, I was like, who wants to be called a Pharisee by Jesus? That's like the worst thing you can be called. And yet it led, where it leads is amazing once you actually hear it. You know, because I was so concerned with proving my self-righteousness and dealing with the such small parts of the law, that was missing the whole picture. And, you know, even to the point he left an eye mask on my pillow I just got up one morning and went back. I don't wear an eye mask to bed. I only use it for travel. I went back to my room and it was on my pillow. He said, you blind Pharisee. <laughs> oh, man. I got up that morning and I was like, you can imagine, because I heard it and I received it. And he even said to me, stop straining gnats, because that's what I was doing. I was so worried about keeping the small parts of the law, but forgetting love and justice and mercy and grace and all those things, you know, and... Um, and literally the end of that week, I'm not joking, in our jug, we had to start straining the water because, and, you know, because our jug started perishing. And as I did it, there was a bug in my water <laughs> straining that. So I was like, man, he was really driving this point home. And there was a situation that kind of came about that I wanted to put right, because if I put it right, that meant I was right. And it justified again who I, you know, who I thought I was. And he said, and it didn't feel like God. he said, I don't want you to put that right. 'Cause this is what you'll do. I need you to leave it. And that was started to break me down. I was like, Whoa, what if I can't rely on my own goodness, my own self righteousness, my own ability to do the right thing? You know, so I'm guess and, and I was and, and to be fair, you know, there's people that they'll they'll pump you up for that, living like that. They'll tell you that's amazing, you know, you're doing this, you're this, you're that and um yeah, so that's why you really, yeah, we all have to hear and see, see each other, obviously, in love, but see through that facade and call it, <laughs> call it, you know, and hope that the person will hear. And, um, yeah, it's t- taken me a long time to hear, and even still there's times things get said and you have to stop and allow him to love you through it. Um, yeah.
2: Do you know there's a false encouragement? Exactly, well said. It's called flattery and it's false because you're afraid to maybe speak what's true and so you flatter and it's not the, tr- not the case at all. And there's a lot of that that goes in the body. It's just empty words that actually mean nothing. But there is true encouragement and true encouragement puts courage in a person. It doesn't just tell them how nice they are
0: and especially when someone's in the middle of the process that you're describing Amanda you know where god is doing a really deep work of maybe of dividing to be able to say actually you're not that bad like actually it's it's all good you know and and those like that like when jesus says hey i'm going to the cross Peter says, surely not, you know. Obviously, there's some things there in his perception of who he thinks that Jesus is, but in, in, in the same vein, you know, it's like people can speak into to try and comfort and actually you need to feel... The tension and the weight of what it is that he's doing and, and so that can actually be more harm than good you know um, and, and so
1: And why though? You see why, why do we do that? We do that because we're afraid of being exposed ourselves because yeah. if you're going yeah. through that and you actually get through that and triumph you know and find victory in that and Christ does his work then it's going to expose me <laughs> so I think, that, I think that's why we do it I'm trying to create a little comfort 400%. zone
3: Before you shared the verse that talked about um, saved and being saved, yep. can you just talk about that a little bit and how that relates to when you. Hmm, uh, hang on, I'm trying to think of the words. When you've also talked about once the work is done, it's done. Does that make sense? Yep.
2: yep. Perfect sense. So. Once the work is done, okay, I'll come back to, I'm going to break us up into three parts. We are spirit, soul, body, okay? So firstly, it's our spirit that gets saved. So when we talk about being saved, yeah, okay, you're saved. Now remember, salvation is a process, okay? So your spirit gets saved, it's done. You are now born of a brand new spirit, okay? We're all tracking Yep, so now you, the Spirit of God enters into your spirit and the Spirit of God cries, Abba, Father. Not your spirit. The Spirit of God cries, I've found home in the temple. You are now justified. You've started the salvation saved process. It's done. You can't be undone because it's done, okay? Then you now need to move that, so you need to get saved in your, soul, your spirit. So now your soul needs to get saved, which is your mind, will, and emotion. Okay. So now what saved your spirit, which was what? Who saved your spirit? God. The spirit came, so the spirit, which is the word, saved. Jesus came and saves your, your spirit. Now wants to save your entire soul. So where does he start on that process? Your mind, will, or emotion? Where does he start? Will. He wants to kill your will, because your will is still living, even though you're born of spirit. Your will is the driver that drives you. That's the thing where you fight with God, even though you're saved and it's a done, saved work. Okay? So that's why you need to continue to hear. So how you get come in is how you go through the process. Shall I say that again? How you come in is how you go through the process. How your spirit gets saved is how your will gets crucified, how your mind gets renewed and how you don't live from your feelings and that comes all out of your body. It's a work of one because you're saved by power. You're not saved by mental agreement, meaning... See, this is where it gets complicated. You are, but you don't have any power to live, Okay? So you mentally agree with what Jesus did. So Romans 10.9 says, If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you are saved. You're technically saved, correct? You're covered. Okay? So I'm I just going to go, because it's quite complex, even though it's very simple. Okay? So you're te- but that's got to get in you. For you to truly live this life, that has to go from being in your head as a mental agreement to actually smashing you and piercing your hard heart and your will that needs to be crucified. Okay? So we're back now to the soul. Okay? So your will needs to fall on the cornerstone and get what? Smashed. It says all those who fall on the cornerstone will be broken into pieces. It's an absolute truth. If your spirit of pride which doesn't want to fall on a cornerstone falls on the cornerstone because it's sick and tired of trying to keep itself a living. It falls and that gets smashed and it dies that day. That's an end. Okay? So that now dies. So your spirit is born again. That's done. Your will, which is in your soul, is now dead. That's done. Now the lifetime process is now the Holy Spirit renewing your mind. Because you don't have the mind of Christ at this stage. Now, once again, depending on your revelation at the start, you may have part of the mind of Christ because he might have gone, woo straight through, and all of a sudden you know stuff you never knew before and you never read the book. Because the spoken word, Jesus himself, revealed it on your heart. You've never read this, but you know stuff. Okay. So then now your mind, let's say your mind is renewed 25%. So you've got to get 75% of it renewed the way it got renewed. So, you don't go on a journey now trying to because you got your mind renewed 25% and you never read the book. Tracking? So, the journey now is you've got to get the rest of your mind renewed so you have the complete mind of Christ. And if you have the complete mind of Christ, which is a process, then you're not going to live from your emotions. So, when stuff comes, you're not up, down, up, down because you're living from what's coming at you the precious, the trials, what people say, what they don't say, your feelings, and all those things because you've now got the Christ in you who's been formed in you. Your will is no longer living. That's been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That's an event that happened on a day. Now, his mind's being constantly renewed and he's not living from his emotions. Okay? Now that then manifests out of your mortal body. And so the life of Christ that's being formed in you, Galatians 4.19 from this morning, is now coming out of your mortal body. Let me give you scripture for that. Does that make sense so far? Or I should say, can you hear me so far? Yes. Now where, is, where are you? Okay, here we go. Uh, So this is after Paul says we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, okay? Because he's gone through and he's going through what Sam said about the glory. So this man is a minister of glory and this glory is going from glory to glory to glory because he's in this process of salvation which I've just described, okay? So he's able to go through because he has this treasure in him, the glory of God. Then he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. I'm always carrying about this crucified Christ, this resurrected life of Christ, what he did. So that, here's that word, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Resurrected, crucifixion, resurrection. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection before he's crucified. There's a bit of a bender, eh? For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Unless you lose your life for my sake, you'll have no life. So for Jesus' sake, uh, so that the life of you may be matter and our... Where am I up to? (laughs) Sorry, I'll read it again. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's the promise. That the life of Jesus will be manifested in your mortal flesh, meaning you're a brand new temple, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and he's got to come out of you. Because you are learning and sitting under the operating system. You are being educated by the Messiah, not man. So then the challenge becomes, am I? Or have I just written a whole lot of words that continue to spew out of my mouth, but I'm not living in the reality of that. But I've read stuff, and so I can say it, but my life doesn't reflect it. And that's hypocrisy. So I am saved, Okay, words like this, justified, yeah? Then I would need to be, what's the next part of that process? Sanctification and I'm glorified. So I'm saved, I will be saved, I'm going to be saved. Justified and glorified are God's and the sanctification process is me and God together but God leading that process. So as I enter into that So what needs to get sanctified? Firstly it's my will So that's got to come under the lordship And be killed, destroyed And until that's happened there's no lordship And that's what really upsets us And that's where all the negotiation takes place With your will Because you go Okay well I'll give you my tithe But I'm not serving you I'm not living for you I won't love Well that ain't lordship that's the lordship of self creating what lordship is from its own image and perspective, yeah? Okay? So that's not, you haven't even started. All you are is justified by blood. Now that's a cool thing because I'd rather be justified by blood than still be lost. But you haven't even started the maturing life in Christ if your will is still alive and active. You can't bring yourself into, because your will will say, no, this is how it's going down. This is how I learn, This is how I come into knowledge, which Amanda is saying, is you'll actually be the Pharisee of Pharisees, which is not a person, it's a spirit. It's the flesh operating. Okay, It's not about what you look like, what you dress like. It's are you of spirit or flesh? So Jesus comes to divide spirit or flesh. And the flesh is highly opposite in opposition to the spirit. And so that's why he's got to kill and crucify our will, which is the most powerful thing God given, and when it's redefined and crushed, then you're giving a brand new will. Why do you think Paul was so on fire? Because he's now got the will of God. Then the power of God through revelation is renewing the man's mind, and he's able to see things in the unseen realm because he's a man that says, I live by faith, not by sight, because my home is the eternal, not earth. And then you live that out through the sanctificational process. So the mind being renewed is the process and the feelings changing and the alignment to the Word of God you're receiving is a process. And over time, you're being perfected into the image of the Christ. All, all that is done in love. Absolutely, because God is love. But that can hurt. Because when love turns up on the scene and says, Oh, by the way, church, you've got very little faith. Is that now still love? Or have you just got offended? but I'm only telling you the truth because I righteously discern. And this is why we can really help one another, but most of the time we rip each other apart. And we actually can't be who we're called to be because we get offended way too quickly. And yet we say we're in fellowship with one another, but we're really not. Because if you're in fellowship, you welcome the word that would challenge you because you don't want to be out of oneness, you want to be in oneness. So because God has done this work, there's no spirit of pride there. So it's not the spirit of pride. The, the, sp- the spirit of pride, guys, and the spirit of humility is, do not coexist. It's one or the other. Okay, There is no pride in Jesus Christ, is there? So if pride still exists, like the spirit of pride, you don't have the spirit of humility operating in you. You're still the first, okay? Which is the position you were born in, but you're saved, but your soul, and that's where it all that that's where it all happens. See, because the church Christians go, yeah, man, I don't want to go to hell, so save my spirit, don't touch my soul. I still want to be Lord of me, and I still want to determine how all this is going down. And God's then, well, then you're not under lordship, but you are saved but it says Lordship and Saviour. It doesn't say Saviour and Lordship. Is that clear? <laughs> um, seriously compromised, because I um, used to like the Keith
3: Green music days, he was a no compromise. Like The things of God are, not, comp- are to, not to be compromised in any way at all. They're all yes and amen. And, um, every spiritual blessing, and there's, there's no uncertainty.
1: I, don't, can I I that's probably for me. I don't know. The applying thing for me is the old wineskin. That when if I try and apply it, what recently what I've noticed more is that the squeeze will come and there's a response that wasn't me, that is new. there's a response that is different and even my husband said to me this week, that would have taken you out. <laughs> it would have ruined the weekend for you, what happened on Friday? I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know why that's not happening, <laughs> because I't have to apply it, because for me, application is still outside of me. Somehow that, or just I don't know, that's maybe not what you mean with it for me, but for me, it was like, actually, who do I believe? Who am I believing on when the situation comes up? Okay, I put my belief on that and him here, and I know who he is and what he says, so I'll, I'll believe in that, and I'll leave it with him and I'll have a great weekend, even though this stuff happened.
2: There is an application that's required. Okay? But it's the place the application comes from. Okay, so I'm going to say what I said this morning. Hear, receive, the word does the work, you apply. If you go from here to apply, you won't be able to. Okay? It's here, receive in you through divine revelation the ability to apply what you can't apply. Sam's just said you can't keep the commandment. Okay, so right now, here I'm going to go. You're all going to go downtown, you're going to go to the clubs, and you're going to get offended by everybody, and they're going to punch you in the face. Then you're going to love them. Go on, I just told you a command, go do it, apply that. And by the way, you've got to love them, and you don't punch them back, and you don't yell at them, and you don't prick yourself, you love them, because you love your enemy. Let's go. Let's go here and apply. Can't, eh? Hey? No. So there is an application, but it doesn't come from just hearing it naturally and then trying to do it. Otherwise, we'd be the church known for love by now. It's been 2,000 long years in God, and we're more divided and more known for division than love. So something's going wrong. But do you want to address what's wrong? Because it starts with you and me doesn't start with the person beside you it starts with you and god and unless you start there you're just full of vain imagination you're saved you're his he loves you but guys we're hypocrites man and we've been hypocrites for too long and it's time you know it's amanda says she's the you're all we're all pharisees cuz it's of the flesh yeah it's not cuz we sit at the front row or don't, or it's who we're born in. We're fleshly, functional beings that all we know how to do is hear and apply. And that's why we ask for how-tos, because we're trying to apply. Okay? It's the same thing, it's just that it's the way. So you got to get that smashed, re and now you actually will apply from being in Christ and Christ in you. So the application still, Jesus loved, Jesus did, he was tangible, so there is an application, but it's how it gets out in you and through you that's the point. And that's why he can turn around and say, yeah, I saw you healed the sick, I saw you raised the dead, I haven't got a clue who you are, because you did all that using my name, but whose will did you do? Your own. And that's the element of Christianity that is dangerous because those people are sons but still living as slaves and orphans because they're finding their purpose, meaning, value, worth, identity in what they do, not who they are. So yes, there is a demonstration, but it's not the majority of the way most Christians are doing it. And the root of function still lives in many, and especially in leadership. And the warning is: if you go to any church family and their main priority is reaching lost people, that's the giveaway. If they're all commission-driven, that's the giveaway. Because it's about what? How can the church? How can the churches first be God's second? It is that way but a church that's in God first will what? Do the commission. Yeah. But a church that's in God second will look like they keep the command.
0: 6.57. Got three minutes. Does anyone have a question and Greg will answer in three minutes? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh you said you can't be uh humility and pride yep. is the process like bam you're switched or is it like a dying, dying, dead. What does, elaborate on that? Okay, your will
2: is the spirit of pride. So when your will is crucified by the word and is killed, God replaces that with the spirit of humility. So you will no longer have the spirit of pride in you, which is an act of opposition to God. You will now have a brand new spirit called the spirit of pride. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. Okay? Now, your will can be dented, chipped, cracked, and bruised. So you're on the process of your will being killed, which means the spirit of pride in you is killed. And we want to have this third option. So we want to go, I've got the spirit of humility and the spirit of pride operating all at the same time. I'm a yin and a yang. It's demonic. Painted up as truth. It doesn't say those who are poor in spirit and still prideful will have the kingdom because you're still actively opposing a God that you don't really know but think you do. And when he turns up, he wants to do a work that you leg it from because you're afraid of the word being going to work and performing. It's surgery, isn't it? Okay, well, what's the surgery? (laughs) There's only one person going to come out of this alive And it ain't you. But that's good news. Okay? So the problem is, we're like in this third, we've created in the church a third option, but God only says cold or hot. We create through the mind. And the same with lordship. Yeah? So that's what I said before. So we negotiate with God and we call it lordship. And God's like, that ain't lordship. You're defining what lordship is through your eyes, not through mine. So you have to actually hear what he says. And then you have to see what he says, all in accordance to his version, not yours. And if you're not doing that, then you're still in us trying to figure it out. And that's why you go round and round the mountain. But when he reveals this reality, you know the spirit of pride has been dealt with in your life. Now that doesn't mean you know all things, you're just not actively opposed to what you've heard. And you certainly don't have a critical spirit You know, if someone comes and I come to Sam and I say, bro, I've got a word that I think is going to be quite challenging. The spirit of pride. See, the spirit of pride, what does it do? What's the first thing it does? Defends. So there's your evidence that the spirit of pride is still operating in your life and it hasn't been crucified because the spirit of humility never defends. It's hungry. If Paul comes to me and me and Paul have had these conversations where I've come to Paul and Paul's come to him and there's never been the sense of inks between us. It's like, Share what you have to share. I say to him, this is what I sense I believe God is saying, Okay, but there's never been this eh, thing. Now he would then take it, process it, go to the Father. Have you hear what I'm saying? There's, there's not this opposition in the way. It doesn't go, no, 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 and try to justify itself. So the spirit of pride will receive it no matter even if it's false because it, it's not determined by what it's receiving, it's determined by what it is. Okay? And this is the evidence, but we don't like the truth. But the truth is self-evident. So once again, if, you try to, if your first reproach is to defend, justify, it's not me, then the spirit of pride is living in you. Because that's not how the spirit of humility operates. Can you hear what I'm saying? The spirit of humility may not agree, but it doesn't go eh, and defend itself. Because it doesn't need to. You don't need to defend yourself when you know him and you know who you are in him. Even if you've got some things wrong, you don't defend yourself. You're hungry to learn and grow. Does that
0: help, Khan? And I just think as, as well, like if, if pride is all, to, to me, I th- think about pride being our ability to live for God in and of ourselves. You know? If humility is actually that the that that through the gospel it's all about a divine, eternal work in us that's done by Him. How can you truly believe that you can live for Him and please Him in and of your own ability and believe that it's only through him doing this divine work and like those two things absolutely cannot coexist at the same time, you know? And so pride says, I can. Humility says only he can. Do you know what I mean? Like you you, you actually cannot practically when you're in pride, you'll think you'll always think that you can until there comes a time where you realize that I can't, but he can. You know, and and to me, it's like I, I know for me personally that that's what that's what that transaction looked like. Is that I totally believed that I could live for him, please him, keep the commandment, and I had no, I had, I, I just totally didn't realize that I that I couldn't. But the, but when you receive him. It's it's like receiving in an entirely new way, you know, that you would you actually never pick up the old way again because you've realized that actually he's the only one that can do in you what it is that he'll said that he said that you'll you'll do. And so you stop and that's why you're in rest because you realize that actually it's only through the Holy Spirit being at work in you that any change can happen does that make sense and so for me personally I'm like you actually can't live in the, you can 't live in pride and in humility simultaneously at the same time it's it is a, absolutely impossible you know so your inner world's different eh? you can't be you can't be an electric car and a diesel car at the same time <laughs> you know it's there's uh, there's an inner world that's associated with pride and there is an inner world that 's humility. And we're not, you know, they ain't no hybrids in the Bible, eh? You know?
2: <laughs> so. uh, and it doesn't mean he doesn't know you, okay? So I just want to read you this. This is a Psalm, you want to write this down, Psalm 139.2. You know, when I sit down, no, no, sorry, not that one. Where have you gone? Oh, sorry, Psalm 138.6. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he, God, regards the lowly, but the haughty, he knows from afar. So those who are haughty in spirit, pride in spirit, God knows us, but he knows us from afar. He hangs out with those who are lowly. Okay? So God exalts humility, pride. And the, the, here's the thing, guys, because this is, this is the challenge. The apostolic brings an absolute reality with it. It's this or this. Now, within that, there's a process, but it's still absolute. And that's what we don't like. We don't like the absolute. Now, you even have to hear that, because in the absolute, there's still a maturing and a renewing of a mind, but it's absolute. So you go from one measure of absolute to another measure of absolute to another measure of absolute to another measure of absolute, but it's of the same kind, it's one absolute reality. So you don't drop backwards like Sam's saying. You don't go boom, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. That's living from your emotions. That's what emotions do. But the Word of God does what it says it does. Jesus, Paul, everyone in the Spirit speak absolutes. Otherwise, why do you want God? He either says what he says is or it's not. It's not half and half. It's a hundred to nothing. It is what it is, what it is. And he promises you If you're in my truth, it will make you free. I'm going to make it so simple. It is the most powerful thing on the planet. I gave him his name. His name is Jesus. And what he does, he does. So if you know Jesus and you're coming to know Jesus, you'll be in the absolute truth of Jesus and you'll be free. And that's it. There's no negotiation. There's no but what if. You're either in that or not. And so together we've got to keep encouraging each other, pray for each other because it's that he wants. Anything else than that is weakness. And it's second-guessing yourself. And you're like, am I, am I not? Am I, am I not? You know if you are, and you know if you're not. And if you're asking, am I? You're not. Because those who are in never ask, am I in it? You know you're in it. And all I'm saying, in it, it's just in Christ. And it's more in Christ. So if we're asking ourselves questions, it's because we're not. Okay? It's not rocket science. We're not. And that's okay. But what do you want to do about that?
0: And I think that, to me, that the thing is, so to hear something like that, if it's not, if it's not that full, and it's not that complete, it, you'll always find a way out to justify yourself, you know. And so, to me, the reason why it has to be, because the response either needs to be, okay. I'm I'm not in what I'm hearing and to me that's the point of true genuine repentance so that you you're, you and you know that you are unable to live that out you know and so there's an opportunity to turn but if it's not full then there's always a way of being able to say oh you can always justify where you're currently at and there's no Pressure or incentive or motivation to change—does that make sense? So I think what I'm trying to say is that the that the tension of it is good and healthy and right because it it, it drives us to Him, you know, and it drives us to the point of saying, "God, I actually just cannot—I'm not in it, and I can't live it out." So you come and do what you do. And I think that comes back to the question before about the way that we enter in is the way that we're transformed. It's him, he starts it, and he's the one who will continue that sanctifying work to to where it's not, you know, it's our not only our will, but also our mind and our emotion, every part of our being is now transformed to reflect the reality of who He is. Hey? You
2: know? so. Can I ask you one question? Is a mustard seed of faith the same as a basketball seed of faith, the same of a room size of faith? Is that the same kind of faith? So is the mustard seed, the basketball, and the chair size of faith, the same kind. Is each one of those sizes absolute? There's your answer. So it's of the same kind, mustard seed, fist size, basketball size, building size. It's of the same kind, so it's all absolute. So you may have an absolute size of faith, which is what? A conviction of the unseen a mustard seed. Now, if I'm speaking from a building size faith, they are of the same kind. So the absolute will recognise the absolute. The same kind will recognise the same kind, even though it's bigger. So wherever you're at, you want an absolute. It's just you're not yet in the next measure of the same kind of faith, which is absolute. Does that help? And that's what Peter said. If you go read 1 Peter 2 and 2 Corinthians 13, 4 13, they talk about the same spirit of faith. And that's why when the disciples say, Increase our faith, he goes, No. No. If you hear my word, you'll have faith. You're asking me to go against my design. See, that's what we do. The natural thing is, God, increase my faith. God says, Hear my word. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing the word of Christ So if you want your faith to increase What do you have to be able to do? Hear the word of Christ Which is not just the scriptures It's the word that created creation Which is coming out Which is spirit Not ask God to increase anything In that capacity You've got to hear the word Because he won't trump his own design Because you're of little faith Which is what he said to the disciples all the time, didn't he? And then the one he said you're of no no faith to started writing about this kind of faith when he got some. Correct. 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 You'll recognize its own kind in the likeness. I don't understand what you're saying, but I know that's my father. Isn't that what Paul was confronted with? Peter, sorry. Are you going? Well, I know you have eternal, the eternal words of life, I don't have a clue what they are, meaning I don't understand them, but I've actually got a measure of revelation that the Father gave me to hold me because I know you're the Messiah because John 6 is a Messiah issue. It's not a feeding of the 5,000 issue. It's a Messiah issue. So everyone's leaving because they don't believe the Messiah would speak, eat my flesh and drink my blood, correct? But Peter has a Messiah through revelation, so he's got faith because he has revelation of who he is. But that's still not enough for him to not deny Christ, But it's enough for him to hold him when all the other disciples are leaving See what a measure of revelation can do when everyone else is legging it Because they don't understand it and they don't like it and they don't get it Because they're trying to justify themselves away from death But you're able to go, no, well I don't understand it either But what I do have is a revelation of who you are Because God gave me faith to see who you are And that's what's holding me now That's powerful Amen. So become a son of God, that's what we're saying tonight. (laughs) Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get the opportunity to know you. And purely on knowing you, we're built and established, and we can live as you lived. So Lord, we continue to pray for us as a family, that we're able to hear a spiritual word, spiritual thoughts that build us on the inside that perform themselves on the inside, that enable us to live as you lived, to come into and have you formed in us, to have your word do what it's been created and sent to do, which is perform the Christ, to build the Christ in us through the revelation of yourself, for us then to be able to be the demonstration of the wisdom of God on this earth because we have been chosen and called with a holy heavenly calling to be the demonstration of you upon this earth but purely through the true knowing of you and knowing who we are deeply rooted and grounded in your son and coming to the knowledge of your son that we may from that place demonstrate your son in and through us which is what you gave your son for. So Father, just seal everything that's of you in our hearts and our minds. And I pray, God, like we looked at this morning, that you would become our devotion. You would become the most important person. And if you're not, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would seek you so they are able to make you that through your power, not through their own strength.